Numbers, you can prepare by opening your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. Before we do that, I do want to take a second and remind us of one other announcement that's in your bulletin, and of course that's the upcoming missions conference. We call it REACH, and that'll be March 8th, 9th, and 10th. 8th is a Sunday, also Monday and Tuesday, and every year, this is a highlight of the year, and we we talk about our role in world evangelization and partnering and sending and all the wonderful things that go with that. I'm, I'm really excited about this year's conference. This year, we're going to be bringing in two very special missionary guests, uh, the Vance family, who is going to the country of Kenya in East Africa, and uh, a single brother named Brandon Smith, who is, has been living for the last 10 years, actually, in uh, the North African country of Morocco. And so they're going to be here with us, of course. We'll have the Horvaths with us during that week as well. And uh, it's just going to be a great time. So mark your calendars, uh, March 8th, 9th, and 10th. Be sure that you can be free. We'll have, of course, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Monday evening, Tuesday evening as well. And so that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. I hope you can join us for all of those days. All right, we're going to get back into our study in the book of Numbers and... We're talking about the story of Balaam. Last week we covered the overall story. It basically covered four chapters, and so we kind of just gave an overview of that. You can go back and listen to that online if you missed that. But today we're going to talk more about the life of Balaam and that individual. Uh, the Bible is full of pictures and types. And, and when it does that, it takes real historical people that embody the characteristics that we need to watch out for and that we need to learn from. So, for example, in the Old Testament, you'll find that there are 18 different types or pictures of the Antichrist. And you'll find that there are 21 different types or pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us of that idea in Romans 15 and verse number 4 where it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So Paul in the New Testament refers us back to the Old Testament writings, right, so that we can continue to learn. Why? That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now the Bible says to us that in these last days, the church of Jesus Christ is going to be characterized by a great apostasy, a falling away from the faith, which if you've been saved any length of time, you probably, sadly, have noticed the evidence of. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15 that there would be wolves that come in sheep's clothing who would destroy the flock. Paul uses this same analogy, warned of the same thing in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 where he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's a church splitter. A wolf in sheep's clothing. And, and if you want to find an Old Testament portrait of a church splitter, well, you can, you can learn the manner in which they operate and the, the characteristic movements and, and strategies that they have by studying the picture that God gave you in the person of Absalom, the son of King David. You can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and especially the first six verses there. 
do yourself a favor. Go read it. Pay attention to it. Let the Lord show you something. But back to Matthew 7.15, I want to point out that when Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. This wolves in sheep's clothing is not just a fake Christian. This wolf in sheep's clothing in the context is a false prophet. It's a false prophet. And Peter refers to false prophets and false teachers. And so in a New Testament post-resurrection context, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, first two verses, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And so Peter refers to it in the context that the Old Testament gift of being a prophet, somebody who actually revealed new truth, existed in the past, false prophets, but continuing on into the New Testament church age, we'll see false teachers. We'll see false, because the revelation is complete. There shall be false teachers among you, what are they going to do? Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And so there's characteristics to learn about a false prophet and a false teacher and the results of their work and their ministry. And because they exist, there'll be evil speaking going on about the truth. People will speak poorly of the truth. Oh, because did you see that guy? Look at that guy. Did you see that one over there? Did you see how they did that? And people speak poorly of the truth. Why? Because, well, there's false teachers. And you see, this is a real problem today, especially in the information age. We have so much information available to us. Everybody has an opinion, and everyone has access to everyone else's opinion instantly. It's fertile breeding ground for false teachers to gain an audience. Laodicean Christians not particularly known for their diligence and faithfulness to study to show themselves approved unto God, often fall prey to clever talking points and Madison Avenue marketing. So this is why we study the Bible here at First Baptist Church. This is why I'll take the greater part of an hour in teaching you the Bible every Sunday morning. This is why we emphasize biblical discipleship and ministry tools and training and Bible Institute training so that you can learn the truth of God for yourself and not be deceived. You're welcome. <laughs> Acts chapter 17 and verse number 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And brothers and sisters, that's the characteristic we need to have, like the Bereans. So Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
You have to know the truth to truly be free in Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, God gave us a portrait of a false teacher. That's the title of today's message. And that portrait that God has given you of a false prophet, a false teacher, is Balaam. It's Balaam. Now, we're going to pull back the curtain today into the depths of Satan. And we're going to need God's help to see and to understand what's going on. Both in this story and in our lives around us today. Because the devil is subtle. He's subtle. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to be our teacher. Heavenly Father, as we come before you with this very sobering subject, first and foremost, thank you for warning us. And thank you for giving us your holy word and your Holy Spirit to guide us in your word and the picture that we have in front of us today so that we can be forewarned. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I pray that you give us eyes to see in the life of Balaam the things that we need to watch out for, especially today with so many false teachers that are out there. And Lord, may we all respond like the Bereans. And may we search the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that we are hearing are actually so. There's a lot of deceivers that have gone out into the world, Lord, and ever more so in these last days. There's only one place we can go and absolutely and completely trust the source of all truth, and that's your word. May you open our hearts and minds to understand it this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to do a little study of this person, Balaam, and the first thing we're going to see is just that, Balaam's person. Who is this guy? Who is this guy, Balaam? What can we actually know about him? Well, there's three things that are in your notes, and we'll go through them fairly quickly. The first thing you can know about him is his origin. You can know a little bit about his origin, and one thing you need to know, and I find people when I speak to them about Balaam frequently are confused about this point. Balaam is not a Jew. A lot of times people think he was a prophet of Israel. He's not a prophet of Israel. He's not a Jew. And by the way, as he interacts with Balak, as we saw last week, the king of Moab, he's also not a Moabite. And we see that from Numbers chapter 24 and verse 14 where Balaam is speaking and he says, And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore and I will advertise thee what this people, referring to Israel, shall do to thy people. Balak, Moab, in the latter days. So you have three different distinct groups of people. You have Balaam saying, I'm going to go to my people so that I can tell you what this people Israel is going to do to your people, Moab. So he's not a Jew, and he's not a Moabite. We know that. Well, where is he really from? Well, Deuteronomy 23 and verse 4 says, it refers to Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, of Mesopotamia. Well, where's Mesopotamia? Well, Google it. <laughs> Actually, where it is, I mean, you didn't, I'm going to tell you. That's why it's my, okay. Mesopotamia, just consider the Middle East, the greater Middle Eastern region. If you want to make a similar comparison, not exactly, just think of Iraq, okay? Uh, so if you want to make a comparison to a modern map, you might say that he's an Iraqi, okay? That's who he is. And uh, literally, Mesopotamia means the land between the rivers, and you take the Tigris and the Euphrates, and, and, and it's, it's a wreck. That's what it is. What I want you to get out of that is this. 
historically, all throughout history, it's always the nations that border Israel that are the enemies of Israel. You ever notice that? And that's where Balaam comes from. That's his origin. And that's kind of surprising to some people because if you just casually read Numbers 22, 23, and 24, what you find is that it does kind of seem like Balaam has a relationship with the God of Israel. He talks to God. God replies to him. God tells him what to say. He goes and he says it, for the most part anyway. We'll dig into that today. But in actuality, he's not of Israel, which means he's not of God's family, which means he's not, if we want to use today's terminology, saved. He's just another religious poser. That's who he is. Well, what's his occupation? Well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet, and a prophet is somebody who heard from God and spoke to men on behalf of God. And the thing you need to get is this. He's not a prophet of Jehovah, the God of Israel. He's a prophet of Baal. He was called upon by Balak, the king of Moab. He called Balaam to call upon Baal, the false god. He's a prophet of Baal. That's who he is. And as a prophet of Baal, he had certain things that he was characteristically familiar with. So in the story of Balaam that we saw last week, we saw that as he went to call upon his God, that he made altars and sacrifices and bullocks and slaughtered them and did all that so that he could hear from his God. Well, if we compare, for example, what happened in the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, and there were 450 prophets of Baal in that story in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 22, we find that the Baalite prophets are well familiar with this idea of making animal sacrifices on altars in order to call upon their God, see? That's who Balaam is. He's a Mesopotamian, Gentile, Middle Eastern prophet of Baal. And the third thing I want you to see about who he is is his outcome. In other words, he was pretty good at what he did. He was successful. He frequently got results. And this we saw last week when we looked at Numbers 22 and verse number 6, where Balak's calling him, and he says, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, Israel, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and I may drive them out of the land. For I wot, old English word for know, I know that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. You're the man that gets results, Balaam. I need you to call on Baal. I need you to get the results. If you'll curse them, I know they'll be cursed. And I know we'll win this war. You see, but we know that even a broken clock is right twice a day. I mean, Balaam's not nailing it every time. And I want you to understand something else. Just because he had some results that were in line with whatever it was he was asked to do, that doesn't mean he was right. That doesn't mean he stood for God. You know that the devil has power to deceive, don't you? You know that's true. Do I need to remind you of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 where it's speaking of the end times and coming into the tribulation and the revelation of the Antichrist who in this passage is called that, capital W, wicked. 
And then shall that wicked, the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, notice, with all power and signs and lying wonders. This Antichrist is going to show up. He's going to get some results, y'all. He's going to be able to make things happen. He's going to have power and signs and wonders and miracles and blind people, spiritually speaking, are going to fall down and follow him and think that he is who he claims to be, the return of Jesus Christ himself. But he's not. He's a poser. He's a poser. That's who Balaam is. Okay, so now that we understand his person, let's look at the second point, his preaching. What did he actually say? I mean, what really was the message that Balaam had for Balak? Well, at face value, the first point, I mean, it looked pretty good. And we saw some of this last week. We're saving the other side of the coin for today. So last week we read several places, but for example, in Numbers 22, verses 12 and 13... And God said unto Balaam, now notice, Balaam is looking for an answer. God actually speaks, and he says, thou shalt not go with him, right? Balak sent the entourage. He said, hey, you need to come meet the king. The king wants you to do something. Thou shalt not go with him. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, get ye into your land. The Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. So you read that, and you're thinking, cool. God said, don't go. He said to them, well, I can't go, sorry. You might also remember a little further down in the chapter in verse 18, because they came back with more people and more stuff, right? And Balaam's answer sounded awesome. Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. And all God's people at that time would have said, Amen, because that sounds really good. And, and actually... At face value, it is really good. And I'm not going to repeat what we went through last week, but you can read four distinct specific prophecies that are very positive, that talk about the, the blessing of God over Israel that come through chapters 23 and 24. But Jesus Christ reminds us in John chapter 7 and verse 24, judge not according to the appearance but judge righteous judgment. Do you know what righteous judgment is? Of course you do. It's found right here. You see, if it's not found here, well, you know, it's iffy. <laughs> this is righteous judgment. That's how we're supposed to judge. So let's take a closer look. And if we take a closer look beyond face value, we're going to find some fatal mistakes. So we read Numbers 22, 12, and 13. Let's look again a little closer at verses 12 and 13. And God said unto Balaam, I want you to notice God said three things unto Balaam. Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get ye into your land, for the Lord refuseth me to give, the, to give me leave to go with you. You know, he didn't really communicate the whole message, did he? He didn't really say, I can't go with you because God's going to bless Israel and he refuses to curse them. 
he kind of cut it short, didn't he? I mean, they said, we want you to come. We want you to curse Israel. They, they laid it all out. He went to the Lord. The Lord gave him the answer. And he only gave him one of the three points. Isn't that funny? You know, that's dangerous. In fact, it's so dangerous that at the very end of your entire Bible, one of the last words the Lord leaves you with is Revelation twenty-two nineteen. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You see, Balaam's preaching sounded good at first, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't the whole story. He couldn't fully deliver. He's like the false prophets referred to in the little book of Jude, in verse number 12, where it refers to these false prophets like clouds without water or fruit trees without fruit. In other words, they don't deliver. They make you think there's something, but they actually don't deliver. You're a farmer, and you see that big rain cloud coming, and you're thinking, oh boy, good, finally, we need some water for these crops, and the cloud just blows on by, and you don't get any rain. That's the effect of a false prophet. They look good. They look like they're going to bring promises and do things and actually don't actually really deliver. You plant a fruit tree. It looks really good. The leaves are pretty. It's tall and it's strong, but it doesn't ever really give you fruit. Well, what good is that? But the truth of the matter is subtracting from the Word of God is only a symptom of a bigger problem, and this is really where we're going to camp out. So we're already at point number three, Balaam's problems. We're going to be here a little while. Balaam's problems. And first and foremost, and you will see that one flows from the other. So the first one is the most important one, and it's covetousness. He was covetous. He was offered bribes. Balak sent some gifts. It was called the rewards of divination. He said, I can't do it. He sent more gifts and more stuff. That's what we saw, for example, in Numbers 22, 17 and 18, this is the second time around after he said, I can't go with you. He sends back more people, more noble princes, greater gifts. He says, for I will promote thee, promotion, to very great honor, prestige, and will do whatsoever thou sayest, power. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. I'm going to set you up, man. Just do what I say. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Amen. Praise the Lord. Again, that's a good answer. But listen, you got to keep reading. Before we keep reading, I want you to notice what he said. If a, even if you would give me, it's almost like that snake was asking for all the silver and gold out of his house. I cannot, notice, notice the words before we flip the page. I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God. Notice what he said. To do less or more. The very next verse. Now therefore I pray you, men of Balak, tarry ye also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. I thought we can't go beyond what the Lord just said, less or more. But, but you know what? 
y'all are bringing some stuff, and it looks really nice. And, you know, I, I really am not supposed to go beyond what the Lord said, but, you, you know, if you'll just kind of stay here tonight, let me, just, let me just pray about it one more time. And let's just see if maybe God will say something more. Maybe he'll say something more, more favorable to what we're both looking for. Because I don't care about Israel. All I care about is the rewards. And all you care about is getting what you get. And the answer has been clear, but like every child growing up in a household with two parents knows, when one parent says no, go ask the other one. Which is why you parents should never tolerate that in your home with your children they're hardwired to know how to pit one authority against the other. That was free. <laughs> Terry here also, also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Okay. I mean, the Lord is a gentleman. He's probably frustrated. But God came to Balaam at night, and he answered him. He said unto him, notice what he said. If the men come to call thee. There's a condition. Rise up and go with him. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Next verse. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Did the men come to call for him? They didn't come to call for him, did they? He went, he went back to the Lord for more after he already knew he didn't need to go back for more. God gave him more and he gave him more with a condition. If they come to call for you, you can go. Only when you go, you still got to say what I say. And Balaam's like, hot dog, I got this thing. As soon as he got up in the morning, he was out. They didn't come to call. He just went. You see what he's doing? You see what he's doing? I mean, why did this guy ask God for more when what God already said was enough? Before we crack on him too hard, why do you do that? Why didn't he wait for the men to come and call? Well, the answer is obvious, because deep down, he really wanted the rewards. He was covetous. How do you know that, Jeff? Well, because the very next verse, we just know how to read, that's how. And God's anger was kindled. Why? Because he went. Wait a minute, I thought I gave you the conditions on how you're supposed to go. No, 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 he just went. He didn't wait for the call. God is angry because he didn't wait for the call. He just got up and went on his own. He saw an opportunity for a job. He wanted to get paid. 2 Peter chapter 2 that we read the first couple of verses earlier about false prophets and false teachers. Well, that's the theme of that entire chapter of 2 Peter. So a little further down in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 15, it says this, talking about false prophets and false teachers which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, notice, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor. Here's something about Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. You know, loving the wages is the root of all evil, right? 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, 
and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money of itself isn't evil. The love of it is, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. The unrighteousness specifically is the fact that he's behaving simply like a hired hand. The Bible calls that a hireling. That's the word. It speaks to his motivation. What motivates him to do what he does? It's the wages. It's the wages. So Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, and we'll get a running start from verse number 10, the thief, the devil, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Amen. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is, that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's an hireling and careth not for the sheep. And there's a lot of people, in fact, friends, listen, far too many people today, circa 2020, love the wages of unrighteousness in the ministry of the Lord. It's a job to them. They are hirelings. They don't have the sheep as their own sheep. Ultimately, they're, we're all the Lord's sheep. I get it. But they don't feel the calling on their life. They just get up and go out on their own, and they want the job, and they want the rewards, and they want the pay. And they'll sell the truth down the river every single time if they can just get the prestige and the position and the honor and the power and the paycheck. And I don't want to take us down a road we don't need to go down, but don't, you don't have to look very far because sadly there have been men who have come out from this very ministry who have gone and gotten a job somewhere and while they got that job in a church that believed very different things that they were ever trained and taught to believe here, they just cast their doctrine aside because now I got a job over here at this church. The way of Balaam. The way of Balaam. Listen, people that get into that at the very beginning, they probably don't even realize they're getting into it. It's a trap. The devil is subtle. They grow up. They believe the Bible. They even really like God a lot. And ministry seems like a really cool job. Boy, it better be more than just that. It better be more than just that. It ain't that cool. So the little book of Jude, that one chapter before the book of Revelation, really is a great parallel to 2 Peter chapter number 2, dealing with the false prophets and false teachers. And we looked at verse 12 earlier. earlier. Let's look at verse number 11 in Jude, where it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain 
and ran, notice, greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. So once they got the reward, well, these people in this category, well, they, they got the reward. They got the job. They got the church spot. They got the money coming in now. They got the position. They now think that that equates to them being godly. But Paul warns us about that. 1 Timothy 6, we looked at earlier. We'll go back a few verses to verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And the Bible tells you, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment. Now, now, that's great gain. That's great gain. That comes from God calling you. Not you just getting up and going on your own because, well, there's a paycheck dangling out there. He's covetous. But his covetousness led to our next point, and that is that he was now conflicted. He, of course he's conflicted. It flows from being greedy. Every time Balak offered Balaam reward, he wanted it. Don't kid yourself. But at the same time, every time God told him what to say, well, he... He kind of wanted to do that too. So he was conflicted. And because of his desire to serve his God and receive rewards, well, he was double-minded. Jesus warns of this in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. God lays out the line and he makes it clear. It's a physical, spiritual impossibility. You can't do it. You better pick. You think you're going after both. You're going to lose one. And James warns us in James chapter 1 and verse number 8, a double-minded man is unstable in some of his ways. No, in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in every single thing he sets out to do because he's double-minded. He's not focused. He's not set on the goal. So Balaam's covetous and he's conflicted and since he couldn't settle this conflict in his heart, well, then he continued to be our third point and that's confused. His internal conflict caused him to be confused. You'll see as we continue now into more of chapter 22 that his perception of things, well, it wasn't that good. First and foremost, in his mission. You see, Balaam thought he was doing the work of the Lord when he went out with the servants to meet Balak. But actually, God was standing to oppose him. He's like the people Jesus spake of in John 16 and verse number 2 where it says, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. People killing the work of God thinking they're serving God. They're confused. <laughs> so we go back to Numbers, and we pick it up in verse 22 where we began, uh, left off in the last time. God's anger was, was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, 
Can I just say, in case you don't know, that that's a word that literally means a donkey. I think you know that, but we're going to read the Bible, and just so we can minimize the giggling, I'm going to read the Bible, okay? You good with that? So that's what he's talking about. He was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him, and the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, and when there was nowhere to turn, either to the right hand or the left, when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Now, it is kind of interesting that if you took the time to do some cross-referencing, you find that an ass, a donkey, is a picture in the Bible of a lost man. For reference, you can see Job chapter 11 and verse number 12. It's a picture of an unsaved man, and you could study the characteristics of donkeys and their stubbornness and their unwillingness to follow orders, and, well, you've got a good picture of lost people. So this donkey that represents a lost person sees the angel. But Balaam doesn't. Isn't that interesting? Because false prophets get so confused about what's right, they can't even see things a lost man can see. So he's confused in his mission. He's also confused towards his master. I mean, think about it. Balaam was confused about which deity he was even talking to. Remember, he's a prophet of Baal, not a prophet of Jehovah. And remember, he was going through the the procedures that the prophets of Baal go through to hear from Baal. And he was calling unto Baal. And he got an answer. Because while he was calling unto Baal, the God of Israel just decided, "Um, I'm going to go ahead and just throw in an answer right here. And God stepped in and was talking to him, but I'm telling you, he had no idea that it was Jehovah God. He thought he was talking to Baal. He's a Baalite prophet. That was his job. But it's an amazing thing because God is monitoring all of history and he can insert himself anytime he wants, anywhere he wants. And Balaam didn't even know it. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, well, believe whatever you want, but it's the exact same story of Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul of Tarsus before he gets saved in Acts chapter 9? He was a Jewish Pharisee and he was out persecuting and killing the real Christians. And while he was doing that, He thought he was doing God's service, didn't he? He was confused such that when ultimately Jesus steps in and intersects his life in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 5, and he struck him blind with a bright light, and he says, Who art thou, Lord? Saul didn't know. Who are you? I don't even know. And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul didn't even know who he's talking to. Balaam didn't know he was talking to. He was confused. And maybe worst of all, if that's possible, he's confused in his mentality. He, he lost all perception of reality. Let's continue in the story, 22, 28. And this is the part that, you know, everybody's familiar with. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, Now the donkey's talking. 
What have I done to thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? What? What up, dude? Man. Uh, you think that's weird? Okay, your, your mind's going to, you know, Shrek. I get it. <laughs> that's not what's so weird. What's even weirder is the next verse. Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me. I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now I, would I kill thee. Well, the ass ain't going to go with that. He is going to answer. The ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass? <laughs> Upon which thou hast written ever since I was thine unto this day. Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? Haven't I been good to you? Haven't I done everything you've ever asked me to do? Have I ever done bad unto you? Well, Balaam, he said, well, no, you're right. I mean, <laughs> can you picture this thing? He's talking to a donkey. I mean, he's so, he's so confused. He has lost his ever-loving mind. And I say that because I want you to understand that when the Bible gives us stories from the Old Testament or the New, this is actual history. Jeff, you really believe this actually happened? This isn't just symbolic to illustrate something? No, I actually believe it actually happened. Well, I think that's crazy. Well, I don't really care. <laughs> and I'll show you why in just a second. But just back to the story for a second. Balaam was just so consumed with fury that he couldn't make his progress to get to Balak, who was going to give him the rewards. That he's, let's not, let's not talk about the donkey talking. Let's just consider the donkey Balaam's mode of transportation. Maybe this will help you get your hands around it. So let's just call Balaam his ride. And you think, how stupid. He's talking to the donkey, and the donkey's talking back to him about the direction and the progress they're going. Um, how many of you have Bluetooth in your car? <laughs> how many of you have a car that tells you where to turn and not turn, and you turn one way and it says wrong direction, recalculating? And you're like, well, and you talk to the car. <laughs> and you say, well, that's stupid. Well, I'm not going that way. Make fun of Balaam. Go ahead. That book knows everything, man. <laughs> Listen, that donkey detour, that was actually to stop his madness. 2 Peter 2.16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. And then continuing on, 22:31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee. Why? Because thy way is perverse before me. Because he left without waiting. Because he was greedy for reward. 
And the Lord continued to say, And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee. She saved your life and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I've sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I'll get me back again. Okay, okay. I, I, I was so confused. I lost track of all my bearings. I'm sorry. I'll quit. I'll go back. I won't go. But the Lord's greater. His, his grace and his goodness are greater than our sin. In verse 35, the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only do the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Listen, here's the principle of life that you need to get. If you mess with God's word, God will mess with your mind. Listen, that is not just a clever little flippy-do thing to write in your notes. You mess with God's holy word, and you're going to start to lose your mind. This is a progression that is played out in the life of a real man that lived back in the history of Israel and is written as a portrait of a false prophet and a false teacher for you today. Because when you get to that point of confusion and you've messed with God's word and you've manipulated it for your own good, well, it's always going to lead to our last point here now. It's that he's compromised. He's compromised. So we know that Balaam had some pretty solid answers and even in chapters 23 and 24, we looked at last week and, and we saw some of the earlier things that he said look good at face value. And, and listen, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I get it, I do. I understand that not everybody hyperanalyzes every single word that is spoken, although I would say that you should when it's God's word. And I get it that we can't necessarily always know the motivation of somebody else until often after the fact. So I understand how some people could read through this and think that Balaam was a good guy. But is that the entire story? No, that's not the entire story. And the reason why we also know that it's, it doesn't even end in chapter number 24. With all those prophecies of good and of blessing compounded upon blessing that we saw last week. It continues. And so the very last verse of chapter 24 and rolling into chapter 25, it says this. So he finishes what he does. It says in verse 24, 25, And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. So they, they finished what they did, and they went home. Chapter 25, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their, the Moabite, gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. It's the very next chapter. 
the very next set of verses that roll right out of chapters 23 and 24 with four compounded statements of blessing over Israel. How in the world did this happen? They were doing good, and God was defending them. Well, listen, there's no coincidence that Israel fell into this sin. And the answer is found in Numbers 31. In Numbers 31 and verse 16, it says this. And behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So, when we read this, we find that this is so severe. This is referred to by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the book of Revelation, in chapter number 2, and verse 14, where it says, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. What is that? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Israel was commanded to not take of themselves wives of the pagan peoples that are around them because certainly those wives of the foreign pagan people would draw them down to worship pagan gods. That was the reason. And Balaam figured it out. I can't oppose what God is telling me. I have to say God won't let me do it. I can't get my rewards. And I can't go against what he says. And he ultimately says all the things God says. But wait a minute. I got an idea. I think I got a loophole. I don't have to ask God to curse them. All I got to do is help you understand how to make them disobey their God themselves. And if I can help you understand how to make them disobey their God themselves, God will judge them, and you'll win. This is the counsel of Balaam. This is the doctrine of Balaam. And it's written to the church in Revelation 2, that was the church in the time of history where Rome was taking the name of Christianity and marrying it together with pagan Babylon mystery religion. And the church was marrying the world. And the doctrine of Balaam is just that. That it's okay for Christians to marry themselves to worldly unbelievers where it's always forbidden. Because the unbeliever will always bring the believer down into idolatry. And in the Old Testament, it was even more important because it was to spoil the seed that would ultimately be the Messiah. So maybe this fork-tongued snake, Balaam, found a loophole and he manipulated the circumstances so that he could get what he wanted. He couldn't directly curse Israel. God wouldn't let him. He provides Balak the solution that he wants, how Israel can sin and he can win the war, and he gets the reward and goes home. All in a day's work. It might not be initially obvious when you just read Numbers 22, 23, and 24. But by comparing Scripture with Scripture, you reveal this conclusion. 
What does that mean to us? Well, listen, we live in perilous times. False teachers, widespread apostasy. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Balaam's the portrait of a modern-day false teacher. He often says good things. As a result, he's popular. He's sought after by others. Rarely, if ever, will they tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They get rewarded for saying what the people want to hear. They're selfishly motivated for personal gain, financial, positions, honor. They lead God's people to sin. And God will judge both of them for it. The false prophet and the people if they're dumb enough to fall for it. And in most cases, of course, God is the judge. They're not actually saved. They're on their way to hell. So back to 2 Peter, again, false prophets, false teachers. Chapter number 2, we saw the first two verses, verse number 3, talking about these false teachers. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They'll make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. They're going to get their paycheck. They're going to get it out of you if you're dumb enough to fall for it. Colossians 2.8 refers to it this way. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Spoil does not mean like become rotten like a rotten egg. It's spoiled. Spoil literally means like gaining the spoils of war. It's being rewarded. That's literally what it means. Make merchandise of you. That's what it means. Beware lest anybody make merchandise of you through philosophy and vain deceit. You know what, you know what the study of religion is in higher education? It's a subcategory under the branch of education that is philosophy. You get a doctorate of theology, it's a PhD, it's a doctorate of philosophy. You better beware of philosophy. You better make sure you got the words of Christ. Don't believe everything you hear. Just because somebody's on TV or has a big church or sounds eloquent or writes books or sounds smart, doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. So what should you do? Well, be a Berean. That's what you should do. Be a Berean. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. John wrote, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How can you do that? Obviously, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Y'all, I thank God for you all. I thank God for those of you that are faithful, that have surrendered to our system of training and discipleship and growth 
And those things are here to help you. And so many of you know these things and been tracking all along because you have been Bereans for a long time. And if you're newer to this church and whether you're visiting for the first time or you're just newer to our body, you don't know that much about us, and you're like, man, I kind of like that church, but that guy talks a lot. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd be judging accurately. But we do really work very hard to give you the goods so that you can know for yourself, so that you cannot be deceived, so that you will not fall prey to these charlatans that are everywhere around every corner. And if you or anybody you know or love has been a part of a church like this and because of their job or circumstances had to move to some new city and they can't find another church like it, they can't find another place that will teach the Word of God accurately and explain and show you how and why you understand the things that you understand. It just reinforces the fact that we are at the end and now is the time to be serious. So let's go to the Lord and pray. Let's make the application that he would have for each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, first and foremost, as always, we're thankful for the warning and the revelation, and we're humbled by the truth that the devil is out there, and he uses people too. And they stand up and dress nice and carry Bibles and speak from pulpits and write books and have a following and gain reward and look good. And, and yet, Lord, there's... It seems, it seems so confusing, but it's actually not confusing if we'll just stick to the script of the Word of God, if we would study to show ourselves approved, if we would understand the right divisions in the Word of God, then we're protected. So I pray, Lord, for each and every one that's here that would say, that they know that they know you as Savior, but they've never taken the step to surrender to systematic training and discipleship that they would finally do that. Maybe just write on their card today that I want to sign up for discipleship. Or I want to, I've done discipleship, but I want to do the ministry training, and I want to sign up for that. Lord, we have to be prepared. Lord, maybe there's some people here who just have never, man, they just, they're blown away by this. This is just almost overwhelming for them. Because they're not even sure that they have a, a home in heaven if their life would tragically be taken from them before the day's over. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, if anybody's here and they're not sure that they're saved, that even right now, just in their own words, they would just cry out to you for forgiveness of sins. That they would begin that new relationship with you today. That they would just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of mine and Come into my heart and my life. I surrender everything I know about me to everything I know about you. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. Teach me, Lord. I don't understand all this stuff, but teach me. And, and wherever you take me and whatever it costs me and wherever we go, Lord, I'll, I'll go with you. Whatever you'd have us to do, Lord, I pray that we would do it. I pray you'd bring revival to our church. I pray that our church would be a beacon of truth and light in a dark, dark day that we live in. And I pray it all be done for your honor and your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.